Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. But with the outward blessing of God, now Laban hates Jacob. What's that a picture of? What's that a picture of here? It's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he openly, in front of everyone, he healed the blind, he healed the lame, what happened? says in Matthew 21, Matthew 21, 14. Matthew 21, 14 says, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Next verse says, and when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying in the temple saying, Hosanna to the Son of God, they were sore displeased. Why were they sore displeased? Because God's blessing was on him. And then we read what happened when many people came to him. Multitudes came to him, like on the Sermon on the Mount, and they came to him in the temple, and it says that, to hear his teaching, it says in Luke 19, 47, Luke 19, 47, it says, and he taught daily in the temple, but the chief priests and scribes and the chief of the people sought to destroy him. They sought to kill him. Why? Verse 48, could not find what they might do, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. See, it was when all the people were very attentive to hear the Lord Jesus Christ. When they pressed upon him and he was teaching them, that's when they wanted to kill him. When the blessings of God came, then came the hatred. And so Laban, Laban of all people, who is Jacob's own uncle, his own uncle, now has become Jacob's greatest enemy. He's become his his uncle, has become his greatest persecutor. And people from the region around there, they might have stood there and said, what's with this? Why does Jacob's own uncle hate Jacob so much? I mean, why are Jacob's greatest enemies, Laban and his sons, why are his greatest enemies coming from his own family? And in that picture, when those questions, we see Pilate speaking to the Lord Jesus Christ in John 18, John 18, 35. See, because John 18, 35, Pilate answered and said, am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? See, it was as if Pilate were asking, why are your own people delivering you to me to put you to death? I mean, Pilate looked at the hatred against the Lord Jesus Christ by his own people. And Pilate was amazed and he wondered and he said, what hast thou done? Pilate told the people in John 19, verse 6, John 19, 6, When the chief priests, therefore, and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take him and crucify him. I find no fault in him. See, Pilate really did not know why they hated him so much. So that's why he asked them in John 18, 35, What hast thou done? What hast thou done? 
And the answer for why there was all this hatred against the Lord Jesus by his own people, that's given to us in John 15, 25. In John 15, 25, it says, but this cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. There was no cause for that hatred. They hated me without a cause. Same for Jacob. Now, at the end of verse 2, we can see that Jacob is in a terrible situation because now he sees open hatred on Laban and he's been falsely accused of stealing everything he has. And at this point, he's really in danger of being crushed. I mean, Jacob is in danger of being crushed because here these are against him and and they hate him. There's this outward hatred now. And so what is Jacob going to do? I mean, he's he's got Laban and Laban's family now openly hate him. He's been labeled and branded as a thief that has stole everything from Laban. I mean, what's he going to do? It's a real terrible situation by by the time you come to the end of verse 2. And out of this terrible situation, all this terrible hatred, all this darkness that's that's around Jacob, God steps in and he speaks to Jacob in verse 3. Verse 3, the Lord said unto Jacob, return to the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred and I'll be with thee. We cannot underestimate the great help that verse 3 represents. We cannot underestimate the great help this was for Jacob to finally, after 20 years, hear God speak directly to him in verse 3. Because up until this point, the last time Jacob heard from God was 20 years ago, back uh, before he even got to Laban's house when he was in Bethel. And so Jacob, he's had this strong, strange, but strong urge to leave to leave Laban, but God didn't tell Jacob to leave at this point, until this point. And maybe, just maybe, Jacob was wondering if it was a good move for him to announce to Laban that he wanted to leave because all the hatred started over it. Maybe Jacob sort of second thought himself, said, maybe I shouldn't have left. Maybe I, I could have you know, gotten all the wealth slowly and you know, just kind of incorporated in here or something like that. And if that was true, if that's true, if he was wondering that, then it was just at the right time that God stepped in and said, nope, I'm confirming to you, Jacob, with a command for you to leave. That's precious of God to do that, isn't that? That's really nice. It shows how God was just carefully monitoring the whole situation, everything that was happening, staying in the background, behind the scenes, and then when he says, oh, I gotta go out, I gotta step out, just at that point, just when Jacob needed him most, Jesus was there to comfort and cheer. Verse 3. Verse 3 is a great encouragement. It's a great encouragement for us to call on God. And so when the Bible uses this term, the God of Jacob, it's got body to it. It's got depth to it. It's got real meaning to that, that name, the God of Jacob. Because when you say the God of Jacob, you can call back to remembrance verse 3 here and say, I mean the God who monitors really bad situations and then steps in at the right time with, with comfort and cheer. That's verse 3. That's the God of Jacob. He monitors our trials. And, and so you ask yourself the question, when you pray, when was the last time you ever called on God's name as the God of Jacob? I mean, you say, Lord, God, Lord Jesus. But when did you ever use that term? The God of Jacob. Oh, God of Jacob. That's what you do. And you bring this passage down. So in verse 3, God's great command to Jacob is one word, return, return. God called on Jacob to return unto the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred. Now, at this point, 
Jacob might have thought, return? <laughs> That's what I've been trying to do, and look where it got me. Look where I am. I've been trying to get out of here for years, and I've not been able to. How am I supposed to return? You say return. That's what I've been doing. And God gave Jacob his answer for how he was going to be able to return at the end of verse 3, which was simply, I will be with thee, and I will be with thee. That simple statement said everything to Jacob. It said everything to Jacob that he needed to know on how he was going to be able to leave, how he was going to be able to leave Jacob, Laban, who hated him, and return home. See, the first part of verse 3 is God's great command, return. The last part of verse 3 is God's great promise, I will be with thee. See, God's great promise of I will be with thee was how Jacob was going to be able to obey God's great command of return. Now, as Jacob heard God's great command of return, what did Jacob have to have in order to return to Canaan? At this point, there stood in Jacob's way Several obstacles, I was thinking of three at least, of him being able to return to Canaan. What were they? You tell me, what were they? What did Jacob have to have in order to return to Canaan at this point? Say it again. His face to God. Okay, he had to have a relationship. That's actually true. I mean, no, that is true. But I mean, uh, that's what he said. He, he said, I'll be with thee. So he had to have the face of God right in his view to do it. Okay, very good. What else? What was standing in Jacob's way? That's the ultimate thing. What's standing in Jacob's way for him to be able to return to Canaan? What? His brother. He's got to have protection from his kid brother, uh, Esau. Only probably not his kid brother, but anyways. His brother Esau. He's got to have protection from Esau. What else? He's got to have protection from Laban. He's got to have protection. Those are the two big ones, right? Protection from Esau, protection from Laban and his sons. And what's another one? Actually, this passage is dealing with it. He's got to have the agreement of his wives <laughs> because he's the head, but they're the neck. <laughs> and the neck will go, the head will go where the neck turns it. <laughs> he can't do this alone. He has got to have, that was the greatest. <laughs> That's the greatest obstacle he had. Nobody knows. <laughs> and so, and for all those needs, God said, I've got you covered with that statement. As you said, Tat face of God. I've got you covered. I will be with thee. The promise of I will be with thee is so great because it means I will be with thee when Laban and his sons threaten you and I'll protect you. Laban's threat to you, now listen carefully, Laban's threat to you will become Laban personally threatening me, God speaking, and I will do that for you. I will be with thee when Esau threatens you, and I will protect you. Esau's threat to you will become Esau's personally threatening me. I'll do that for you. And maybe, like I said, maybe the greatest of all, I'll be with you when you present your case to your wives, and I'll make them agree to leave. And your wives not agreeing with you will become your wives not agreeing with me personally. I'm going to do that for you. See, this wonderful thing about God is that this promise of, I will be with thee, which is really encapsulated in the name Emmanuel, is really God saying, I will be with you when you face all these challenges. But the greatest challenge that we have, I will be with you when your sins require the wrath of God. I'll make those sins to be the wrath of God that I personally endure. I will do that for you. 
See, this great promise, I will be with thee, is all about for you. And the ultimate for you is when he said at the last summer, the two great for you's, in Luke twenty two nineteen, Luke twenty two nineteen, he took bread, gave thanks, break it, gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Verse 20, Luke 22. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new testament of my blood, which is shed for you. So when we see this promise of God, I will be with thee, it met every one of Jacob's problems. And that means so much to us because we have the same promise. We have the same promise from God, which he told us, which is told to us in Hebrews 13, 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. See, just as Jacob had that promise, that meant that for all of his personal struggles and his problems, that they would become the personal struggles and problems of God. And and, and nowhere do we see this more than when we look at, on the cross, and see him suffering and dying for us. Now, when the Lord told Jacob that he would be with him in verse 3, that's exactly what he told Jacob 20 years ago. Turn to that, please. In Genesis 28.15. In Genesis 28.15 was exactly the same thing that God told uh, Jacob in, in Genesis, when he started off on this whole journey in Genesis 28.15. Okay, you all got it? Okay, Genesis twenty-eight fifteen, he says, Behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. Okay, now, Genesis twenty-eight 15, we're all there. God told Jacob, I will be with thee. And following that, God explained what, he was, what that was going to mean for Jacob, and he explained it with three I wills in Genesis 28, 15. What are the three I wills that follow after I will be with thee? In Genesis, what's the first one? I will keep you. I will keep thee in all places where thou goest. First one. Second one, I will bring you. I will bring you back. I will bring thee again to this land. Third one, what? I will not leave thee. Those are the three great I will promises that God made to Jacob, and they're the same for us. I will keep thee, Psalm 121, 5 through 8. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. That's the I will keep thee. I will bring thee. I will bring thee, John 10, 28. I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which, is, which gave them me, greater than all, no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. John 17, 12. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me have I kept. None of them is lost. Then I will not leave thee, just as we were, uh, uh, just listen to these promises. We just heard one. Hebrews 13, 5, he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. 1 Samuel 12, 22, the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. Psalm 37, 25, I've been young and now I'm old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed baking bread. Psalm 37, 28, the Lord loveth judgment and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever 
but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. Isaiah 41, 17, when the poor and needy ask water, and there is none, and their tongue faileth for thirst, I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. Now, in this verse of Genesis 28, 15, God started off by saying, behold, I am with thee. When God said, behold, I am with thee, the word behold, behold, it, it means look at this. You know, it could, and it could, be, it could be seen as a command. It's like a behold command. See, the word behold means look at this. And so it's like God's commanding Jacob to look at this. You know, behold, I am with thee. Look at the fact that I am with thee. Now, thinking about that statement, that, uh, that, that this, is a, this could be viewed as a command for us to behold God is with us, what are some practical ways for us to make ourselves aware of God's presence with us? What are practical ways for us to make ourselves aware of the presence of God? How do we do that? During the day. Anyway? Yeah. Okay, you look around your surroundings and you give that credit to God. You said God made that. Okay, good. What else? Oh. Ah, see, that's good. See, it's simple everyday things when you, when you, you run into issues and you pray. Now that goes along with Philippians 4, 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Be careful for nothing. See, be anxious for nothing. Now, now we are in this room right now. And what would you do if right now this chair burst into flames? Okay, what would you do? You go over there. <laughs> you go over there. You grab that fire extinguisher and you put it out, right? I hope you would. No, you'd sit there and enjoy the fire. No, you'd go and do that. So, okay, you quickly, see, see, with no warning, if that chair burst into flames, you'd quickly go get the fire extinguisher, you put it out. That's exactly what anxiety is. Anxiety is a sudden bursting of flames. That's how anxiety comes. It suddenly bursts on us and it starts to consume us like fire. It consumes what it burns. What should we do? What should we do? Quick, go grab prayer as the anxiety extinguisher. <laughs> okay, That's a fire extinguisher. Prayer is an anxiety extinguisher. Prayer extinguishes anxiety. Why? Because when we talk, when we pray, we talk to God who's present with us. When it says be careful for nothing, don't let anxiety consume you like fire. When it says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer, don't let anxiety consume you like fire, but quick, go grab the anxiety extinguisher. See, using prayer as an anxiety extinguisher, it makes us aware of the presence of God. Now, other ways in which, in which we can obey this command, behold, in other words, look at the fact that I am with you, of becoming aware of the presence of God. In Proverbs 3, 6, in all thy ways acknowledge him, it says, he shall direct thy paths. But it says, in all thy ways acknowledge him by constantly acknowledging God through the day. You know, driving around, Lord, I need a parking spot. Oh, Lord, thank you for this parking spot. Today, uh, after church, I'm going up to L.A. to pick up an Orthodox rabbi friend. And then I'm going to be driving him for three hours down to, to spend the night in my house. Okay. Just imagine, just imagine this. Now, you know, if you just picture this, I'm going up there. I'm going to go up there to the synagogue at La Brea and, um, and Beverly. So if you never hear from me again, you'll know what happened. So I'm going to be, he's going to be at the corner. Okay, just imagine I start off with him in the car at La Brea, from a La Brea and Beverly and drive to Telcom. And, 
Just imagine if during that trip, I totally ignored him as he was sitting next to me. I talked on the phone <laughs> to other people. I played music that I wanted to listen to. And I just acted like he wasn't there. I mean, just I acted like he wasn't present with me. That would be so insulting. It would be so rude. To acknowledge God in all of our ways is to live life as though he's sitting in the seat next to us. And so with my Orthodox friend, I'm going to be acknowledging him all the way down with the drive. I'm going to talk to him and carry on a conversation with him, ask him what he'd like to do, this or that. It's the same way with God. To acknowledge him in all of our ways is to live life like that. Another way, Proverbs 16.3, commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. Proverbs 16.3, commit thy works unto the Lord. When we do a work during the day to pray and, and say, there now, Lord, I commit this work to you that you make it last. Okay? Clint plays, prays that all the time when he does a construction job. <laughs> I walk in the spirit. Proverbs 23, 17. Let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. See? Being aware of the presence of God is to not look at sinners and say, Boy, you know, they're not married. They're just living together. They're having such a good time. But it's instead is to think, I'm afraid for them because they are one slip away from falling into the hands of an angry God. See, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether you eat, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. See, whether we eat, we think, this is such beautiful food. It's so beautiful looking. It tastes so great. You know, God is so great for making this food. See, we make ourselves aware of the presence of God by holding up the glory of God. Just like going outside and saying, beautiful day brought to us by the beautiful God, by the beautiful Lord. That glorifies God. See, Colossians 3.17 says, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. We make ourselves aware of the presence of God by constantly giving thanks to God. Lord, my ankle hurts, you know, but thank you that I've got an ankle. <laughs> thank you for making the ankle. Boy, it's such an, such an engineering marvel. How did you do that? It keeps lasting for decades. Colossians 3.23 said, Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not unto men. We make ourselves aware of the presence of God by doing every work we do with an attitude of, now, there, Lord, I did that work for you. Are you happy with it? Huh? Do you find that I did a good job? I did it for you. I want you to be happy with it. Do you like it? See? Now, 2 Corinthians 5.20, 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, We're ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God. John 20, 21, so Jesus said, peace, uh, peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, so send I you. John 17, 18 said, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I sent them into the world. John 16, 15, where he said, go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. We make ourselves aware of the presence of God when we bring the gospel to the lost. Because bringing the gospel to the lost is the passion of God. And he blesses and, make, and we become aware of his presence when we do it. And so these are some practical ways to obey the behold command of Genesis 28, 15, behold, I am with thee. Now we see in verse 4, back in chapter 31, verse 4, we see what Jacob did as soon as God spoke to him. It says there, Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field unto his flocks. Verse 4 is Jacob calling his wives 
And it comes so abruptly after God spoke to him in verse 3, as it's as if Jacob is saying in verse 4, i got to go tell my wives what God just told me. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Jewish Bible teacher Tom Cantor from Friendship with God, founder of Israel Restoration Ministries, invites you to a Seder and Passover dinner at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Friday, April 29th at 6.30 p.m. Cost is $25 for D.Z. Aiken's food, fellowship, and a Passover Seder message from Tom Cantor. It's Friday, April 29th at 6.30 p.m. Call 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or go online to creationsd.org, creationsd.org.